Hey everyone, welcome to episode 209 of 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, and a special guest, a first-timer this week, and uh, Craig Moore, who is a member of the Whole Life Church, and a special guest for us today. And last night, as I was beginning to prepare, as I always do, usually the day before, and then usually it spills over into the morning, and it seemingly no matter what I thought about talking about, and we had a great message last week. We had communion. We went and produced a video to show people how to make unleavened bread and so that we could all join in from home during this COVID crisis. Uh, my family even said, no, let's take it a step further. Let's do the foot washing. And they had they had fun with that. And I was really excited about that and talking about that this week, and I had some things prepared, but none of it seemed to really work given the state of what's been happening in our country since last week. And of course, on on the 25th of May, uh, George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis, and it has sparked uh, everything from peaceful protests to riots and everything in between. And it's it's so it's just been so much to try to like add on top of COVID. And last night as I was trying to do all this and um, it was just, it nothing seemed to fit. And so I talked to Tammy today and we, we decided that we are really wanted to talk about this situation and, and because it's been on all of our hearts and it, it kind of, it, it wasn't full blown last week on Tuesday when we taped, there was still, you know, it was starting to come out and things were starting to, to, to gain steam and but I wasn't comfortable yet to talk about it, and I don't, I don't know if I'm still comfortable to talk about. It. I don't know if that's the right word, but um, today just seemed like a day that we needed to address it. And I know that we're we're starting a new series this coming week, and so we'll be addressing it further in that. And so, Craig, welcome to the to the podcast. Thank you for being here, and as we all go through this together, and I know we all have. Oh man, we all have differences in of opinion. We have different life journeys and how we view and how we focus on this. But I really liked. I, I felt like the the skit that you and and um, Steph did last week kind of gave us almost a foreshadowing of this, of how you know we're trying to to move things forward. And I I wanted to get your I wanted to get your input to start off the show, and to help us understand things that we that we don't or things that we can't put ourselves in someone else's shoes and I'd like to hear your perspective about this well uh, first of all thanks for having me um, <laughs> I I will start by saying I was somewhat reluctant to participate um, and I was jokingly telling Sammy I think sometimes um, from an african-american perspective when something happens when from our community or something is said or done, it tends to be a monolith for the entire community <laughs> where that level of, um, of, of, uh, of expressing that across a, a culture doesn't seem to happen in other cultures. So I just want to start off by saying that, you know, the, the things I share are really my thoughts, my experiences and my perspective. I, I don't speak for everyone. Um, but that being said, I, I will say this has been a tough week. Uh, you know, if you, if you go back to last week and watching this whole thing uh, play out on television, um, a man's life being snuffed out from from him, 
I will tell you there, there are many disturbing things I've watched in my life that I wish I hadn't and I've forgotten. But this, what I saw last week is something I will never forget. And I, um, it, it, it really hurt. I mean, it really, it really stung me to the core because I feel like it's, it, it's perpetual. And then you, you compound that with Amar Arbery and uh, Brianna Taylor. Absolutely. All of those events happening in such a short period of time, that compounding effect, uh, just really the tragedies um, just have a profound effect. They had a profound effect on me and I'm, I'm sure they had a profound effect on many other uh, minorities as well. So your initial question was, you know, kind of playing back to the sketch that, that, um, Stephanie and I did, and I will tell you that even even in preparing for that sketch, Stephanie and I had, a, had about an hour conversation about <laughs> race relations and the context of slavery, and it amazes me that even still to this day, that is such a third rail, that even performing that sketch was, was somewhat um, troubling at first. And I, I think the message was well done, well crafted, and and so forth, but still just the thought of talking about slaves, you know, honoring their masters and masters honoring their slaves. I mean, just, just even that concept, it's still raw. And so I, I think, you know, that, and then the incident that occurred with um, George Floyd that, that happened relatively shortly right after that, it just, it's been tough to take that, all of that in. I think the the I was talking to uh, to Stanton the other night, and no, he was like, "Well, why 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 are we talking about this this one versus the, versus others? You know, they, they, right. There's so many that have happened." And I, I said, "Well, you know, it's a great question to ask. I, I said, I'm not sure if it is um, this instant or the like you say the compound effect. Uh, it's like okay, this is finally the straw that breaks the camel's back." Is says, you know, you, we've got we've we've got to do something about this. You know, it's like um, the cavalier the cavalier nature of the crime, um, of the of the police officer just you know cavalierly it felt like you know just doing this. It just is a horrible image in our heads and and one that we have to figure out how to how to push against and and try to make the world a, a better and more just place. You know, it, it, it does tie to last week's message, um, even though we're not debriefing last week's message. But uh, in that message, I said, you know, that, that with, with proper understanding, we, we see God calls his followers to treat everybody better than themselves. And, you know, you just think if, if, if just that was acted out. Uh, I was talking to, to Charles Tapp, who's African-American pastor of our Sligo Seventh-day Adventist Church in Washington, D.C., and it's like, you know, there's just just the ethic of the golden rule would change would change everything uh, if, if we actually practiced it. You know, yeah. Christians have been part of the problem um, as they've been unchristian. But if they if we would follow our basic Christian ethics, um, th- this this kind of thing could be could be ended and we could we can move to a, a much more just society. You're still going to have wickedness that will appear, and wickedness is wickedness, but wickedness is different than injustice. So why do – I mean, Craig, why do you think that 
and Andy kind of touched on this and maybe there's no answer to it, but from your perspective, what do you think is the, what or what part of this, what made this, is it just the compound effect or what made George's situation so much different? I mean, I know the video is nearly impossible to watch all the way through without just I don't know. For me, it's just anger and tears, and I'm like to try to make it through that. Is it just because it was so bold? Seemingly, we've just dug into this, and it's affected people that I've never seen even talk about this before. Are now saying it's time to make a change, and you know they're suddenly starting to see this as more than just something that happens and then it goes away, and then we wait till the next time and and we go after it again. What do you think? Well, I, I think Stan's point is is very valid. So this is not the first time we've seen this play out in the national forum or no. riots have erupted as a result of it. I mean, there's Eric Gardner, there's Michael Brown, the whole that, that started the whole um, protests and riots in Ferguson. There's Freddie Gray in Baltimore, uh, Philando Castile. And it, it just, I, I think for me, when I saw what happened to Mr. Floyd was, it's the compounded effect of all of the, the folks that have been killed recently, but also the feeling that nothing has changed and nothing, there's a sense of hopelessness mm -hmm. that, that yeah. nothing has changed and nothing will change when these things happen and they spark protests that unfortunately turn into riots. And we have a dialogue for about a week or two and then it, it calms down and you, and you think it's, you think, you know, well, maybe people understand now. And then something else happens. Like, no, there's no understanding. And this keeps playing out over and over and over again. And and I think there's a certain sense, at least for me, what I would say is when I saw Mr. Floyd there on the ground with that policeman's you know, knee on his neck, it, it, it made me feel like that could have been me. That could have been me, and and the value that this man placed on another man's life, someone mm -hmm. could place that same value on my life, which is nothing. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it's a perpetual, and it's a compounded effect of that. It's, okay, so I may never experience something of that degree, but there's a whole life that. I, I, that minorities kind of live that people aren't even aware of. Right. Um, yeah. And the things that we do each and every day that we kind of, you know, when I step out of the door, I have to change my frame of reference. When I walk into my place of work, I have to change my frame of reference. I, you know, um, NPR talked about code switching. Uh, they have a program that talks about that. We do that. We do that all the time. Mm -hmm. and, and I guess it's the, the feeling that no matter how much I try to make myself less disarming, <laughs> less, you know, uh, or, or more appealing is not the right word, but the more I try to do these things that I think our society will at least look at me and give me a chance. And then I see what happens to another one of my brothers and sisters. It, it, it makes me feel like, this whole charade, this whole, all the work that we do and put into making sure that um, society doesn't view us in such a negative light, that it doesn't, it doesn't pay off because at the end of the day, you're, you're like one step away 
from being in a situation like that. Um, there are things I do every day that I know I don't look like it, but I, I like to run. <laughs> so at least three times a week, I, I probably run about you know four or five miles, and it's usually at the end of the day. And so I'm you know I'm leaving work a little bit later. My wife gets on me because if it's too late, she worries about me running outside mm-hmm. in, in an environment where it might not, when there's not a lot of light out. So I, I run with my ring on. I run with um, my ID on me. I carry some extra money. Um, there are a lot of things I do when I run to make myself look like a jogger <laughs> and not a threat. Um, mm-hmm. I used to carry a little pocket knife with me just in case if I came across a, a stray dog or because I've been attacked by stray dogs when I was younger, so I'm always nervous about running into an animal. And I stopped carrying um, a pocket knife with me after Eric Gardner. Yeah. And I just felt like, you know, worst case scenario, if somebody ever asked me to stop and I have a weapon on me, what does that mean? Um, mm. I had an experience where I drove to the airport one morning uh, early on the way to, I was taking a flight to D.C. for a, a meeting. I was dressed in a suit. I was running a little bit late. And admittedly, I was doing, you know, like 45 in the 30s, and I got pulled over. And I did all the right things. I put my hand on the steering wheel. I stayed perfectly still, didn't make a move. The officer asked me for my driver's license. You know, I you know, showed him that I was going for my driver's license, gave it to him, put my hand back on the wheel. But when I took out my driver's license, my credit card fell between my seat and the door. And while he was processing, you know, my driver's license, I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, I need to grab that credit card because I need that to pay for the rental car in the hotel room. And I reached down in the side of my door to get my credit card, and the cop immediately put his hand on his gun and asked me what I was doing. And he said, I want to see your hands on the dashboard. And here I am in a suit mm-hmm. explaining mm-hmm. to him that I'm going to a meeting in Washington, D.C. to meet with state legislators, you know, to advocate on behalf of Medicare patients in my community. And in that split second that I just forgot the rules, what could have happened? Wow. Mm. So when you see stuff like this happening, it just, it, it, it triggers things in your life that make you think about all the things you try to do that are quote unquote the right thing. But I'm still pulled over for no reason. I'm still watched when I walk through a store. Um, on the weekends, I wear a suit all week. And on the weekends, I just want to relax. Yes. I want to put on a t-shirt and a hoodie. But now I, I worry about putting on a hoodie. And so these are things I don't think other people think about. But I have to think about that every time I leave my home. Yeah, I have to think about when I run and I jog, how people are are looking at me. Am I running in the right neighborhood? Am I running on the right side of the street? It, it's This is stuff we walk around with every day. And then when you see a man pulled over and mm-hmm. for everything we see on camera, he's following the rules and that's not enough. <laughs> yeah. No. yeah. And an officer puts his knee on his neck and kills him in front of an audience who's filming him and, and they're, they're telling him we're videotaping you. The guy, the guy can't breathe. The guy can't. And there's no, not that officer, not the other three. There's no concern. And if you watch that video all the way through, when EMS comes to get him, they just throw him up on that gurney like a slab of meat. Mm. 
it's like, what value does my life have in this yeah. society? That's, yeah. that's the compounded effect of yeah. what's happening today. And that's why I think you see so much moral rage and anger. Think, yeah. yeah, you know, I, I, I watch that with, with so much sadness. And as I looked at it, I thought, you know, I cannot even come close to beginning to understand what is, what is on that side. When, you, when no. I listen to you talk, I, there is nothing in me that can try to compare my life to that. And so when, when things like this happen, the cries for help that have been here all through history, I mean, all through my growing up years, all through before that, all those cries for help were never, um, were, were never really truly understood or believed even sometimes. So when finally something like this that is so blatant and in our face, man, I can, I can understand why nobody would want to let this go, you know, because at this point now, please do you not understand what we're up against and for us to close our eyes now and for us to shut up now and for us to be uh, closed minded and even somewhat calloused to something like that, it, it not only is wrong, it's immoral to me. One of the things you just said, Craig, that I think is really um, important for for those of us who are not black to hear is I do this. We do this. We have to mitigate constantly. We, we're we're on guard. We have to watch. We have to think we have to we have to change who we are uh, mm-hmm. in different situations. And I think that something interesting you said that that all the all that you would do is not enough. I think that's really an important message uh, that we need to hear in the larger community to say, oh, you're right. You, you can't fix this. Uh, you know, you, you, all you can do is try to make good decisions to protect yourself from injustice, but you can't fix it. And so, so the, the, the weight of this needs to shift over onto the rest of the culture to say, hey, how do we help fix this? You know, this population is doing all they can to work within the rules and try to play by the game and try to protect themselves from insanity. How do we change this? How do we how do we become part of helping this to change um, and really make it make it be different? I think it's dialogue, you know, so I obviously I don't I don't share what I've shared with you today with everyone, uh, you know, I, I share that with my, my friends and my African-American sure. colleagues. And friends. I mean, we, we all know, so we, we talk about these things amongst ourselves, but I, I think until people understand there, there can't be any change, but there's all, mm-hmm. you also have to have a willingness to understand. Right. And I, I think the tragedy in all of this is that there is no, there, there doesn't feel it doesn't feel like there is an honest desire. Mm-hmm. When when things right. happen, it's like okay, we got to do something, got to fix it, and then we move on to the next new cycle. Yeah, but there is not yeah. a real um, discourse that's happening, and so it just gets shoved under the rug until the next thing happens, and then the next thing happens, and then and then it, there's a spark, and it all explodes. Now, I'm saddened by the riots because I think it's 
it's taking away from the spring right. here. Mm. All of this, all that other stuff is unfortunate, but it's a distraction to the story. And I think of Colin Kaepernick. And, you know, I know that might be polarizing to bring up, but here's a guy who just said, look, all I'm going to do is take a knee to just bring some awareness to this so we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. But even doing that simple thing of, of just bending the knee to say, hey, this is something we need to dialogue about, became this cultural divide that, again, took away from the, the purpose of why he did that. Right. And, and, and the struggle that, that I think we feel sometimes is, it, you know, it's like there's never, the, there's never a good time or a right time or a right way to protest. So when you raise your hand and say, hey, we need to talk about this. Well, we can't do it now. Or we don't want <laughs> you to do it that way. Or we don't want you to protest in this manner. Or we don't want to have a dialogue about it this way. Or now's not the right time. You know, mm. there's a lot of prayers and thoughts, but now it's not the right time. Well, when is the right time? Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, that what, is, what is the right way? If I can't kneel or put my fist in the air without it being looked at as a militant action to draw awareness to a serious problem, then, then tell me how. Because at the end of the day, we need to have dialogue. Mm-hmm. That's the only way we're going to move forward. I, I, you know, my favorite saying is seek to understand before being understood. And that goes both ways. Yeah, It's sure. not just about you understanding the plight of minorities, the black and brown and indigenous. And No, we, we both got to understand each other's experience. But we have to have a dialogue about it. But there's never yeah. a right time to until the next powder keg goes off. And then we did it the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, Craig, something you said that I wanted to to touch on. You said that you know it doesn't feel like there is, you know, outside of your circle that there's not a, a genuine interest in a dialogue. I'm wondering because starting before this, um, I've asked uh, other people just who have said, "Well, you, you'll never understand my experience." And that might be true. I'm certainly not saying that I'm smart enough or that I'm going to catch all of it. Or, and I, and I know that it's very difficult. Like you said, you don't share this with just everybody because it's very difficult. It's uncomfortable. And it's, it's, but it's dialogue we have to have. What does it look like from your perspective that would tell you this person has a genuine interest? And I feel like they really want to see my perspective. I feel like they want to hear my perspective and they want to make change, even if it's just between me and that person. And we, you know, we become friends and we, we do something and they do something and we're, we have a dialogue and we're vocal and it's one more person that finally gets it and is willing to not let the conversation go after a few weeks, like you mentioned earlier. They're willing to to take this long-term and continue to put it out there, even when there's not one of these powder keg situations that we seem to bounce back and forth from. Because I've been feeling this way, and this has really, this instance, and for all the reasons we've talked about, really has hit harder than maybe any of the others. And there's so many that it's it, you almost become callous to it. So from someone who's really wanting to genuinely say, you know, I don't know how I can help. I don't know what – I mean I want to make sure that I'm open in a way that lets you know or someone else know that wants to be heard. I truly am interested. What? How do I portray that so that I become someone that people feel 
comfortable with or that are willing to share? Or is that just something that happens between friends? How do we, how do we open that up, I guess, is my question. That's a great question. And I'll, I'll give you two stories as an example. When I went to college, I had a college uh, friend of mine. We're actually roommates for a little bit. And he came from significant privilege. You know, Caucasian you know, guy came from a lot of privilege. And we, at that time, used to have some hard conversations about uh, affirmative action. And I'll never forget one time he said, you know, because I, I was going to one of our Adventist universities and it was costing me a fortune, but I was taking out loans and so forth to do it because I wanted to be there. And I wanted to, I wanted to get my degree from that university, my, my GT degree from that university. And so the comment was, you know, well, if you can't afford it, you shouldn't be here. Um, it sh- we shouldn't have affirmative action just to make sure that we can balance things out. Something to that effect. Don't quote, don't quote me on those words, but no. it was something to that effect. And you know, we we could we could we could dialogue without hating each other. So I, you know, I would say, well, that's your perspective, and then my perspective was, well, you just come from privilege and you don't get it, you know. Yeah. Well, one holiday, this friend of mine got stranded and. Uh, he had a significant layover and he went to see a movie and he came back to me after break and he said, Craig, have you seen boys in the hood? Now that was a movie that came out back in what the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The plight of a, yeah. Some kids in, in um, South central LA. And he said, have you seen it? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to see it because I, I kind of understand that. <laughs> I kind of understand that world. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> Um, and he begged me to go see it with him and we went and saw it and then he begged his girlfriend and all his other white friends to go see it. That movie literally changed his life. And he said to me, I, I never knew. I, I just didn't understand that this was what's really going on, you know, in other areas of, of the country. And once that happened, <laughs> then we, we could have some open dialogue about our different backgrounds and perspectives and cultures. And we're great friends to this day, but it was an awareness, a genuine desire to understand more after seeing that and realizing I have my own inherent biases that cloud the way I think. But when, if I'm open enough to understand someone else's perspective, it can really change what I think about that individual. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I grew to love some rock music that I never would have listened to before. He grew to love jazz <laughs> because um, I played it all the time. Awesome. And, you know, we just developed a great relationship out of that. The other example I give um, is just a dear friend of mine who thinks our church, Danny Howell. Danny and I come from Danny's, you know, Caucasian. I'm black, but um, we have very, very similar upbringings from a, a family perspective. And that's what's bonded us, I think, more than anything else. Um, and we used to meet, you know, pre-COVID every three or four months and just have breakfast together. And we'd talk. And he'd ask me about my perspective on certain things. I'd ask him about his perspective on certain things. But again, it was, it's a genuine desire to understand someone, to seek to understand before being understood. Yeah. I, I'm not of the belief that we need to blame every white person for every problem. Just as I'm not of the belief that if one African-American person does something that's wrong, we don't take that and blame the whole race. Absolutely. Right. We all have different perspectives. We all have different backgrounds. But we, we have to be willing to have the dialogue. 
and the dialogue might be painful. I mean, like I said, I, I don't talk about this stuff to most of my non-African-American friends or Caribbean friends because sometimes it's painful to go there. Um, I'll never forget the exercise we did at Camp Kalakwa a couple of years oh. ago where we, I don't remember the name of that, but I sat silent during that whole conversation after we did that exercise of showing the disparities that, that oh, occurred. Yeah. It was incredible. My wife, yeah, my wife kept sticking me in the side saying, why don't you say something? I didn't want to say anything. And when I finally said something, you know, my voice was trembling and I got very emotional and I broke down. And I said during that conversation, I'm just tired. You know, when I Mm -hmm. think about all this stuff, I'm, I'm just tired. It's fatiguing to go here. But if you're willing to have the conversation, I'm willing to have the conversation. Because I think it gets us to a better place. Yeah, I like that. That was a powerful exercise. More things, more things like that, that that help us to see uh, in a very vivid way how how through no through no choices or faults of our own. Those all the questions that were asked were things that we didn't choose. It was it was what what had happened in our lives, and yeah. I'll, I'll never forget standing beside. Uh, Christine Wynn, and you know she's a dentist in our community, successful person. But she, you know, she 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 immigrated from from Vietnam. Her parents were, you know, had a, had a struggle, and we were standing there beside each other as it began. And then by the time it was over, she's like a long ways one direction. I'm a long ways another direction, and nothing nothing that she or I did, but what life was for each of us. You know, it was, it was just it was very eye opening. Yeah. Well, I like the fact that we have to, Craig, what you're saying is, you know, having those life experiences of of breakfast, like with you and Danny and willing to have those conversations. And I think it's hard, especially uh, as someone, again, Caucasian and that um, this morning, I I think I mentioned already that uh, I was at filming at uh, Advent Health and we had three different individuals African-American people tell their journeys and talk about things that they've had to endure in their life. And I think when you, you know, like you said, you're tired of this. And, you know, in many cases, I'm tired of this happening all the time, too. And like you said, we just stop. It seems like we never get anywhere. We don't go any further. But it's so hard for people like this morning when you have a room full of high level executive people and it's very uncomfortable and and they all, you know, on both sides, everyone admits this is uncomfortable. Nobody wants to talk about it and trying to break the ice for someone to say, okay, either I have to bring it up and risk like for me, if I I don't know you that well, I've, I've met you a few times at church and, you know, church retreat, but for me to walk up to Craig and say, I don't know what to say. What what do I say? Do I and say I'm I'm genuinely interested in in what or how does this happen? Do we have to have some kind of a relationship right before we start this? I'm just asking because I think the not knowing what to do and we're so fearful in today's society of labels that if we say the wrong thing or we make a mistake in how the words come out that will never be forgiven will be labeled as something that we don't want to be labeled no matter which side we're on. And so it's just easier not to have the conversation. How do we start these really difficult conversations? And and if someone's not ready, how do we just, how do we come back to it and maybe try again later? Yeah. 
I, you know, you bring up a question that I think happens a lot, Randy. I, because a lot of times people just want to, they're just silent because they don't know what to say. And the present is a very hard place to be in situations like this. But I do think that being present is huge. And so maybe just sharing, I, I think of my relationship with, with lots of different people. And I think if I start off by saying, you know, this is what you should do, or this is what I'm going to do, I, I think it, it, it tends to create a defensive side right up the bat. But if we start off by saying, I truly want to understand, or I, I really want to try to hear what is going on, and I know I'm going to probably suck at it, or I know I'm <laughs> gonna, it's going it's to really be bad, or, yeah. or you know, setting out the, the, sad, the, the sad part about me being the person that truly doesn't understand, I, I think it, that's a place to begin, because unless you're really, you've already established a strong friendship with somebody, that trust isn't there. And I think that's part of the problem is we just don't have these relationships. Well, our church, uh, maybe our church yeah, our church is a very, very multi-ethnic, multinational, you know, yeah. hodgepodge of people. Mm-hmm. But while we're very international and very cross-cultural and multi-ethnic and all those things, it exists pretty much in silos. Yeah. And so I think one of the first things to do, I think what, what Craig said earlier from Stephen Covey, seek to understand before seek you seek to, to be understood. And to really just be interested in each other and find people that don't think like you or look like you or, you know, have the same background as you and, and become a, become acquainted. Uh, and start building those friendship bridges and then understanding, I, it seems in my mind, should should become more realistic. Um yeah, that's. But we have to truly want to understand. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I had a, a a black roommate in in academy, and thinking back on it, I, just these past few days, thinking about he was a grade behind me in in academy, and we, you know, like I say, we were roommates. But I I don't know, looking back, that I sought to understand his life, you know, understand his story. We just did life and. I think one of the lessons we have to learn as we move forward is is greater intentionality. Uh, we can't assume that this hor- the horrible injustices of our world are just going to somehow get fixed if if we just are nice people. That, that's that's yeah. not going to happen. There has to be much more intentionality on our parts to say we're battling against evil, and, and it's evidencing itself in in prejudice and. Uh, racial inequalities and just horrible things in our culture and our world. And yeah, we're not starting on a, on a level playing field and no. we can't think we are. And I, th- I think, I think that addressing, addressing one, this, this uh, most recent one that we're talking about addressing this one is a, is a great place for us to start putting our, you know, nose into the, into the grindstone and recognize that, that there's, there's so there's I mean this is this is one huge one that we see in America that's very easy to be able to say this is unjust it can be seen it's evidence there's reality behind it nobody's making this stuff up now let's figure out how to work toward a more just culture a more just culture 
And as we do that, it won't just affect the race relationships, the, the inequities there in between black and white. It will affect all kinds of other injustices in our culture as well because we, we just start, we start down a new path. Um, it really depends on what our intentions are and what we're putting our focus on. And I guess in the last year, probably the last two or three years, something that's been uh, near and dear to my heart has been people that have been wrongfully convicted and the reform that so many people are working on in prison reform and sentencing and all mm-hmm. these different things. And I started listening to a podcast and it's uh, – just one that this guy is a former uh, police chief that – and he investigates cold case murders and has gotten people released from prison. And it really changes the way that you might think about incarceration and the inequities that lie in there. And I've kind of parlayed that with being a special needs dad. I also understand that it's so mm. difficult when people – Sometimes people will will stare at Emily and your your initial reaction is to go why are you staring at my kid do you, you know why is it because <laughs> you know and you you get anger in your in yourself and you you want to go over there and just smack the person around and go what what the heck are you looking at you know and yet we've tried to through this whole journey from the moment she was born, there's just been so many negative experiences and we've tried to turn those into positive ones. And there's lots of people at church that have come up to us and said, is it okay if I ask you a question? And I'm like, sure. you know. And they're scared. You can see it in their face. They don't want to do it. And so I try to tell them, you know, just say what you want to say. It doesn't matter how it comes out. And no one, no one wants to use the word retarded. But some people don't know how else to say it. And I've so many times that's like nails on a chalkboard. And, you know, again, you feel that inside of you like you're like, no, you don't say it's not. No, no. And yet (laughs) when you get done talking, I feel a relief for myself that one more person maybe has a little bit better understanding about people with special needs. And when you explain the different things like why does Emily run away and why does she you know, hold her head and sit in the corner. Well, it's too loud. And she has all these issues that they just don't understand. But that is so difficult. And so I can't even, and I'm not comparing that to what people of color face because it's, it's completely different. But I feel like since Emily's been in my life, it's more and more as you continue to learn, you find more and more empathy for other people that are disenfranchised and you just see the world through a different lens. And then when people are willing to share with you. So, Craig, I just want to say I am so thankful that you you came here today to to share part of your journey with us. I know it's not easy. I, I hear the emotion in your voice. It makes me emotional. This whole thing has made me emotional. And as we start to kind of wrap this up, what can we say to someone, maybe on both sides, someone who's saying, I'm sick of all of this. It's been going on so long. I'm tired. And I just, I, I, maybe I just don't want to talk about it anymore because I don't feel like anyone really cares and nothing changes. And then to the other person who is saying, I hear you. I don't know how to approach you. How can I help in any way? Even if it's just, if the, if your advice is just shut your mouth and listen to me. Or you know whatever it might be, and and what 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 would you what would you say? Well, I I, I think 
you asked the question earlier, you know, how, how, how do you approach someone? And what I would say is, obviously, if you have a relationship with someone, mm-hmm. um, it's easier because there's a level of trust and, sure. and familiarity that exists. Um, so if there's someone in your circle that, you know, you're struggling with this whole thing and you want to talk to them and they're black or brown descent, I would say this is a perfect time to start having those conversations and to open that dialogue. If, if you, you know, to your point, we know of each other, but we don't know each other well. Um, I wouldn't be offended if someone came up to me from church that I knew casually and just said, Hey, with everything that's going on, can you just, can you just help me understand, you know, what it's like or how is it affecting you or what could we do differently? I, I would be perfectly open to having that conversation. And I, and I think, again, it's a two-way conversation. Mm-hmm. So I am, I'm going to share my story with you. But I want to share your story, too, yeah. because I, I want to gain perspective uh, for where you come from and, and, you know, your life journey as much as I want to share mine with you. Because at the end of the day, it's about relationships, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of going back to that sermon. And it's about honoring those relationships um, that you have with one another. My hope is in the church <laughs> yep. in the sense that, you know, the, the text that keeps coming back to me through all of this is First John 4, verse 7 through 11. You know, mm-hmm. beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And it ends with, beloved, if God so loved us, we yep. ought also to love one another. And if if we can't create a safe space in our church to have that dialogue, mm-hmm. then I think we're doomed. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do love the fact that we have a multicultural church. But I go back to the point that was made earlier. I don't know if Jeff or Andy made it, but there's an intentionality I think we need to have. Um, my wife and I have developed a, a relationship with a, a lot of Brazilians that just came out of <laughs> One incidental meeting at church where my wife said something to uh, someone who was sitting in a pew in front of us, and we invited them over for lunch, and next thing you know, three years later, we're the best of friends. Awesome. And I gained perspective on Brazilian culture, and I ask questions, and I try to yeah. learn some of the language, and it, it's intentionality, and, and vice versa. You know, this individual or these friends that we have know about the West Indian culture, which is my, my primary upbringing, but we share stories back and forth or food back and forth. And, and, but again, it's intentionality. It's more than the casual hello. Mm -hmm. Happy Sabbath. Hope you have a great week. (laughs) You know, we've, we've got to talk and, and share our stories with one another and, and also understand that we're the whole point of seeking to understand it's also understand that we all have our own inherent biases. Yeah. yeah. And you may be misjudging me and I may be misjudging you. Um, but at the end of the day, through that relationship and through that conversation, we can judge, we, we, we can break those, those judgmental barriers down and truly build a relationship with one another. Well said. Absolutely. A question for everyone before we, we finish up, what would be one thing that, we could improve upon. I mean, I, you know, none of us are perfect. And I liked how Andy had framed the conversation. We're not going to wait until we are perfect. We have to start with we now imperfectly and give ourselves and give each other a little grace in the process so that we can actually begin these conversations. But 
What's one thing that at least as a church community at Whole Life Church that you either want someone to know that we're doing right and then something that maybe we could do better? Or is there a a way that we can not just do this individually, but as a church, as we, you know, we talk about our mission to, you know, get outside our walls and love people into a lifelong friendship with God. And that would that would apply to people of all races and creeds and, and all of God's children. What's one thing that we could do or we could start to do or we could do better to make that a reality so that when people talk about Christians, someone could say, you know, those people over at Whole Life Church, they're really making a difference. They're really doing things right. And they don't or they don't get it. Maybe they don't get it right all the time. But, man, it's not for a lack of trying and it's certainly not for a lack of love. How do, what, what could we do better? That's a loaded question. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it really, it really is, and I know it's, I know it's not easy. But you know, so much of what I've heard and I've seen on social media this week, even from people that I know and respect, are just like, you know, it's too, it, it's too difficult to have these conversations. It's too difficult, and what's the point? Things never change, and on, and you know, from people on both sides of the issue. And it can't be left there because if it is, then Craig, like you said, we're doomed. There's no way we make any progress, right? One of the problems in with um, when we talk about church, when we talk about Christendom, <laughs> is that uh, there's been too much within within the Christian church uh, of people saying. Yeah, we got we got to love everybody if they look like me, smile like me, think like me, vote like me, uh, worship like me. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the 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 reality is is it's just it, it takes us to be able to say wait a second, the circle. And I, I I talked about last week. We as Christians, we just we're called to an, an ever enlarging circle of the collective we. Um, we we have to tear down all the walls of us and them. Uh, we talked a lot last year because of the women's ordination issue about tearing down the walls between gender um, and being able to treat people equally. And we have to just any, these wall these walls of prejudice and racial inequality. We have to become friends with each other and love each other, and that begins to model um, a different a different kind of world. Yeah, yeah, Randy, you're. Your question is loaded because it's never just one thing. It's all a relationship <laughs> takes, you know, it's, yeah. it, it, ha, it has a domino effect. And so there is, and there's also, it's a two way street because it's not just how I respond. It's, it's what others are going to do in response to that. But um, I, I, you know, I, I love Andy's response here. I, I think that it really is taking it to that level. But I think we also have to see people the way God sees them. Yep. Uh, we're, we're getting ready to start a series uh, called What Really Matters, and we're going to be addressing that very issue. In other words, should, you know, can we trust the very institution that is supposed to be doing this really well? And um, and so I think it's it also has to begin with me trying to find God's eyes in how I see people. Yeah. And that everybody is a, a person made in the image of God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The breath of God has been given to each one and no one has the, the right to take that from anyone. Hmm. Nope. I like that. 
I like that. So I was going to say, if we didn't exist in a COVID environment, this would be a perfect opportunity to have some of those forum conversations. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Not just about race, but about poverty, uh, about inequities, yeah. and, and dialogue, and, and maybe through that dialogue, come up with some tangible ways that we as a church could make a difference in our community. Um, yeah. I mean, our justice ministries, I think, does a phenomenal job in, in, in many fronts. But I, I think also having that dialogue about a lot of different areas of injustice and putting our collective heads together to A, share our stories, seek to understand, and then create a platform in which we can go out and do something. Mm. You know, in a pre-COVID world, I think that would be my, my Monday morning, what would I do differently? Sure. Yeah. Um, and from a very simplistic standpoint, what I would say is in the COVID world that we're living in today— if we can figure out a way to do that virtually, wonderful. If we can't, then I would say at a minimum, get off social media, go find somebody who's not like you, and yeah. talk to them. Yeah. Just, just, just try. Just step out in faith. Um, it may be a great experience, and it may not be a great experience, but just, just get off Facebook and get off Twitter and just stop and, and reflect on who who could I reach out to to have this dialogue, this conversation with, and just start there. Yeah. Don't be discouraged if they say no too. I mean, I've had, I've had some people, I've had some people turn me down when asking, genuinely trying to ask. And that's okay. Cause you know, there was a time, like I said before, there was a time when I did not want to talk about anything having to do with special (laughs) needs. And I was, I would be offended if you did. And so we're all at a different place in our journey. And if that's not a place that you currently reside, that you're ready to talk about it or you're ready to have any kind of conversation about it, then I think it's okay also, and that has to be on all of it. Like, like Jeff, you said, it's a two-way street. We One of us has to agree that if you're not ready to talk about it, that we're okay with that too. We're not going to push the issue. Yeah. But maybe leave the leave it open to say, if you change your mind, I'd be happy to listen. And if we could just be civil in the small parts instead of taking offense and getting our, you know, getting our ire all up about, you know, well, that's exactly what I thought they were like or that person was like or whatever. And we're going to apply more labels to people. Maybe we just start that way and just extend a little (laughs) grace until, you know, maybe we're all in a place where we can be comfortable having that. That might be a good start, too. But I like your suggestion because I would love to be a part of that conversation and about leading out those kind of conversations for us as a church, because I think right now with what we're seeing in, in our world today, when it, it really brings back, they'll know that they're my, you know, my people because of your love. And I think there's so many people that just are so upset and they're so mad and they're so tired of everything that it's just, you know, there's no one that cares. And if we could just listen, that's I think that's carrying right now. That might be more love than many people that are experiencing this have seen in their lifetime for for some people. Yeah, I think that would I think that would be great. Well, I think you know this is a long episode, and it should have been. And I'm I'm happy that we were able to to talk through these and at least open some dialogue and give us give us some ideas about you know some comfort levels of where. We may, you know, not always want to go, but just let's take a chance. I mean, who isn't worth taking a chance for? And if we really believe that, then really there shouldn't be anything that's holding us back. And Craig, again, I just want to say thank you uh, for agreeing to come and just and share part of your journey with us and and to just 
help us, you know, hey, if we can have a conversation here that's sometimes uncomfortable, then we can do it other places too. And if you're listening, you can do it too. And, you know, I've done this before, but, you know, if you want to know part of my journey, the next time, I guess, when we're not social distancing or, you know, the number that I give out every week, 407-965-1607, give me a call, leave me a voicemail, I'll call you back. We can have a conversation. Or, you know, if you want to go get coffee, you know, I love coffee. I'll go, I'll go have coffee with you and I'll listen. And I promise, I promise I can, my wife would tell you that I can't do this, but she doesn't know that I can do it. I can, I can actually listen and not say two words for like at least 15 minutes or a half an hour. So I promise I could be a good listener. So Andy, we're starting this new series that's upcoming and what, uh, and Jeff kind of touched on it. What are we going to be talking about this, this week upcoming? This this week is about finding trust in your in your faith community. So it's we're all apropos. We're jumping right yeah. in then. Yeah, for purpose. Excellent. Yeah. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, before we go, I just want to encourage everyone. Someone said uh, sent me a text message. I don't know who it was because I don't have their contact information, but. They said, hey, when did we have this uh, Speaking of Grace, this new podcast? And I'm like, ah, it's pretty new. But so if you don't know, it is our sister or companion podcast. It comes out every Tuesday evening, usually about 8 p.m. I'm probably going to miss that deadline this week. But it is the message from the previous week. So if you need to take it on the go in your car and your earbuds while you jog, like uh, Craig and I, who like we don't always look like we jog, but we do, I promise you. And just take it to your earbuds and, and don't miss the message because you weren't there or you just missed it and you don't have time to watch a video. And then uh, you'll be listening to this on Wednesday. Tuesday, we released a special episode, episode 846. So when you listen to that episode, please swipe up in the show notes. There are some things for you to consider as you listen. And I hope... It's as impactful as it was intended. So, again, I want to thank Craig for joining us this week. Andy and Jeff, it's always a pleasure. And I look forward to this new series. And let's not let the conversation, like Craig just talked about some ideas, let's not let those go and fall by the wayside and and just only have this conversation for a couple of weeks. And if you have any ideas that you'd like to share about this, to send an email to podcast at, at hospitalchurch.org. No, please send it to podcast at wholelife.church. I'm gonna, I haven't done that in a while. Wholelife.church. <laughs> or send a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607. You can send a text, leave a voicemail. We'd be happy to continue this conversation in this format, in another format, because I think what we've really decided today was – it's not always fun. It's not always easy. It's not always something we're comfortable with. But if we don't have these conversations and if we don't come together, then there's no way we can move forward because the trust just won't be there. So thanks, guys, for the conversation. And thank you all for joining us this week. And we'll be back next Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.